0: So last week we covered 1 Peter in chapter 1, uh, much of the way, and we come into 1 Peter chapter 2 now. Just a little reminder of where we come, because again, at the beginning of 1 Peter chapter 2, it begins with that blessed word, therefore. So we remind ourselves of what this means, okay? And so in 1 Peter chapter 1, if we remember that St. That Peter is calling the church that is under persecution... They, they are fearing for their lives. Many of them are being tortured, imprisoned, and martyred for their faith. And so the first piece of encouragement and spiritual direction with a very Father's heart, a very pastoral heart that St. Peter comes with is set yourself to praise. Praise God. Turn your face to Him because as we praise God, that's what happens in our souls. When we are praising God, our eyes get taken off of everything that's causing us grief and despair. doesn't mean the circumstances go away. It turns the focus of our attention from that which is most painful, that which is most grievous, onto the Lord our God, who is our salvation in the midst of those things that are so grievous to us. Because He wants to tend to His flock when they are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, like we talked about last week in the sermon. He wants to be with us. And so he, he, through St. Peter, is guiding our gaze back to him. So that just like St. Peter, who walked on the water when his face was set toward Christ, so we may be lifted up above our circumstances, not having them removed but being enabled and graced to walk through them for all of the salvific work that God will do in and through those periods of suffering. Because like we talked about last week, it's most of us admitted that some of our greatest, probably almost all of our greatest faith growth occurs in times of struggle because we abandon ourselves knowing when we're hurting, when we're in the depth of suffering, we know right in front of us our true need for a God, a God to be with us, in us, and to grace us through those things. So he started with that, but then he switched. And the very first thing he charges the church that's going under persecution as far as beginning to teach them, how do you live as the church in the midst of such times? The first thing that he says is love one another. He gave us that direction that let the love of God be shown in you and among you so that God may be glorified in your life. And if He so wills and if you are willing, even if it's through suffering and martyrdom, God intends to glorify Himself. First and foremost, by your love. By demonstrating the love of God through you as you so love one another. And so now we come to 1 Peter and chapter 2, which we will get through about half of it today. Who has 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3? Please.
1: Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking,
0: as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word... That you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted, that the Lord is precious. Thank you. So he speaks of love. That we are to love one another. And then we get the therefore. And remember, he's now beginning a part of this epistle where he's instructing the church on how to live in the midst of such times. So love one another. Therefore, in other words, in order to love one another. He says, therefore, lay aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, and all evil speaking. That's the first thing he charges them with. What's he saying? Since you have so purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brother, and love one another fervently with a pure heart. That's what he said at the end of chapter 1. Love one another with a pure heart since you've been baptized and graced to do so. And so now he's saying, so let me tell you some things that work against the love of God being manifest one to another in the body of Christ. He says, therefore, put aside these various things. So let's have a look at those. I think it's very healthy that we take a look at some things that our patron saint, St. Peter says, works against our loving one another in the body of Christ at any time. The first thing he says is, lay aside all malice. Now here's the definition of malice. Wishing ill will upon another or acting toward one another with the desire to cause injury to another by word or by deed. Malice wishing ill will on my brother or sister in Christ, or letting words fly out of my mouth or actions that fly out of my mouth that so damage my brother or sister. That's what St. Peter is saying. You know, malice can sneak up on on us. Because malice can be preconceived, where if we harbor unforgiveness in our hearts towards our brother and sister in Christ, things are constantly churning in the minds of our humanity. I just want to say this to this person. And I think I'm going to give them my mind on this. On what they did to this person or what they did to me. You and I know these things stir. We have to battle these thoughts within us. Especially when people have hurt us or someone that we greatly care about. And it does happen just like it does in a family. It happens in the body of Christ. And St. Peter is saying it's not always preconceived. It can be, but it's not always preconceived. We have to guard our mouths. I remind us again, what he's basically saying is just like the icons show, is the mouth bigger or the ears on the icons? The ears are bigger than the mouth. There's so many scriptures about taming the tongue. And also the power of the tongue. That the tongue unleashes. Because it comes from within our heart with things that God wants to heal and transform within us. That all of that viciousness at times wells up and it spouts out out of our lips. And it causes damage to the body of Christ. And St. Peter is saying, put aside all of that. Because that is a great inhibitor to your loving one another, you having been baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit in order to live in the agape love of God one to another. So he says, lay aside all malice. The second thing he says is, lay aside all deceit. Now, in the Greek, this word means multiple things it can mean guile, it can mean manipulating with ulterior motives. You know, sometimes when we get in a certain rut in our lives and we're dead set on something, uh, whether it's relationally or wanting to see something happen, we can begin to deceive, we can begin to manipulate people to make things happen. You've had that experience, yes. You've probably done that. I've done that. We've probably all been guilty of trying to make sure that our will is done. Sometimes that will is very strong within us. And at the heartbeat of deceit, at the heartbeat of any manipulation, we need to recognize something. The heartbeat of any manipulation is really self-love, not the love of another. The only reason we would manipulate a circumstance or manipulate people to ensure that a circumstance happens is because of something we want so strongly. And St. Peter is saying... Self-love, it's the antithesis of the agape love of God. That type of manipulation can create divisions within the church. All based on what we want. Rather than working in unity and harmony and love and trusting God's will to be done through His church, you see. This is evidently happening then just as it does today from time to time in the church. And St. Peter says, lay aside all deceit. He also says, lay aside all hypocrisy. And hypocrisy, very briefly, is simply faking love while we go spitefully behind our brother and sister's back. It's a lack of authentic love. Okay? Hypocrisy. I say to you, I love you, but then I go talk about you behind your back. Well, wait a minute. That's a problem. Those don't match up. So stay away from hypocrisy. And then he says, lay aside all envy. This is something that we covered not too long ago, even while we were going through our Hebrews study. That envy is jealousy, of course, of what my brother or sister has, which creates rivalry, and rivalry destroys love, (coughs) destroys harmony, destroys unity. And we talked about a number of weeks ago in that Hebrew, in what ways can we envy our brothers and sisters in Christ? Sometimes we can envy their financial success when we're struggling. Sometimes we can envy our brothers and sisters in their intellect and how learned they are. Sometimes we can envy our brothers and sisters in their gifts and talents and ministries. I could go on and on of all the ways that Satan loves to come in. And kind of tweak each individual heart thinking, oh well I must be lesser because of what they have. And therefore envy grows. And when envy grows, rather than desiring all the benefits of the kingdom of God, we desire what a brother or sister has. And it begins to work itself in separation of relationship between the two. And so we're to get rid of all envy. And we talked about this, the antidote to envy is when we see those who we consider in our mind's eye, whether God considers it or not, when we see those who we want what they have, is to begin prayerfully thanking God for their blessing. To go before our icons, to begin in prayer, thanking God for all that he blessed my brother or sister with. And just like praise redirects uh, the eyes of our soul onto God, so does that prayer of thanksgiving for what my brother and sister has that perhaps I feel like I lack. It turns my heart to love in that prayer of blessing. Lastly, he says... Lay aside all evil speaking. Another tongue thing we have here. Lay aside all evil speaking. And it's very specific here in in what Peter is saying as translated from the Greek. Referring to speaking against my brother or sister in ways of gossip, slander, or complaining against the actions of someone without going to the person that the healing power of Christ and forgiveness may happen. So it's a very broad stroke that St. Peter is painting. He's saying anything, anything that in speech is not promoting or keeping the harmony in the body of Christ is evil speaking. He's not talking about cursing, although that would be part of it. He's not saying that specifically. Evil words are words that work against the unity of the body. Okay? Okay? What are we encouraged so many times by so many of the epistles to do? We are to edify one another. We are to encourage one another. We are to press each other on in love towards the goal which is Jesus Christ himself and eternity beginning now with him. So evil speaking is anything outside of that that works in reverse if you can, if you will anything that causes stumbling blocks to my brother or sister. We're to guard our mouths and our minds and our hearts and we're to deal with it prayerfully for the protection of our brother and sister, the protection of the body, and therefore the protection of our own soul. So even as... The people that St. Peter is writing to are going through this immense persecution. He is still pastorally guiding them into what the church ought to look like. What it ought to be like. It is a house of love, not division. It is a house of unity where they are forged together in the bonds of the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we watch our mouths, guard them. Then he says, in order to keep love, having laid those things aside, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now here, as newborn babes, he's painting an image for us. We need to lock onto this. As newborn babes crave the pure milk. Okay. What's he saying? In the physical imagery that he uses, in the natural creation of things by God. And let me preface this. Look, please, in what I'm about to say, I'm telling you of St. Peter's imagery to teach us. I know that some, some women, as they have raised their, ch- their children, as my mother did, raised me with formula, okay, not with breastfeeding. But what's the imagery, and this, so this is not saying anything against that. This is simply saying, what happens in a woman naturally, in most cases, where, where a, there, you have a healthy woman that just gives birth, their body produces milk. And the body produces milk in order to feed the child. Now at the same time, God has produced in the newborn babe a craving for For what he has created in mama. That will come to me through mama, you see. And so the babe craves that. And you know, one of the things, talking about pure milk. One of the things that scientifically they show. And again, when all things are healthy. okay. Post fall, you can't always count on that. But when all things are healthy... They have been able to look at kids who have been breastfed by that healthy mother's milk and look at the ones who were fed formula and other things, and they can see some disparages in, from a health standpoint. They can see disparages in strength of bones and more teeth problems if they have not had the pure mother's milk. Their immune system takes longer to develop and sometimes ends up not being quite as strong because in the mother's milk is something that builds the immune system of the newborn babe. And we all know, doctors tell you, don't bring your newborn babes out for about a month because their immune system is very low. They're just beginning to nurse. And through that nursing process, there is the benefit of the immune system being built. And so what is St. Peter saying here? He's saying, like newborn babes, which they were, and let's all consider ourselves, like newborn babes, crave the best that God has to offer through Himself and through what the church calls our mother, the church. Crave the pure milk because God has placed, just like in a mother who just birthed babies, God has placed in the church... Everything that the soul of those that he loves needs to grow to maturity, to grow to strength, to have everything that they need. So crave the pure milk, not that there's always by saying pure milk, he is indicating there's some non pure milk going around already. And that was true. Jesus said in his life, guard against false teachings. The apostles followed up on that saying, guard against false teachings. We saw false teachings even in the book of Acts in the council of Jerusalem where many people were trying to tell the Gentiles, you've got to be circumcised. Many false teachings. So St. Peter is bringing them back saying, crave the pure milk. And that's the milk of the Word of God in the church. All of the things He gave us. Union and fellowship with God through prayer, sacraments, everything that He offers us. Holy Scripture, our fellowship together, investing in one another. All of these things are the pure milk. Listen to the words of Father Lawrence Fireley, commenting on this. Having renounced Satan and our sins as newborn infants fresh from the baptismal womb and new to the life in Christ, long for the milk which Mother Church provides. Just as babies insistently cry for milk as the only way they can grow and thrive, so we should just as insistently seek the true milk as the way that we may grow for salvation. It's a beautiful picture that's being painted for us. That's what he's encouraging the church at that time to pursue. And how do we get the pure milk and why? St. Peter continues. Who has First Peter 2, 4-8? through 8.
1: Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected and by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient... The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of, and a rock of offense. They stumbled, being disobedient to
0: the word to which they also were appointed. Thank you. The last thing Saint Peter said right before those verses is, "Crave the pure milk." Okay. And then the answer to how is the first thing he says is coming to him as a living stone. Rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious you also as living stones are being built up into a spiritual house. The picture when we all are gathering together. It's the picture of all of those babes coming together before God who will feed us himself everything that we need for our life and salvation. Now, St. Peter is going to use construction and architecture language that many of these folks and many of us understand. And the first thing he says is, come to him as to a living stone. I'll read you again the teaching from Father Lawrence Fairley on this. He says, this pure milk is available at the assemblies of the church, and they must come to Christ there. He is the living stone rejected by men, but chosen and honored in the sight of God. Peter here alludes to Psalm 118. Isaiah 28 and Christ in Mark 12 verse 10 applies to himself the image of the stone rejected by men of the word of the world as worthless and a stone no good for building but which God chose to be the honored cornerstone on which the whole building depends for the world rejects Christ as a deluded deceiver and cannot understand how a crucified carpenter can be the power of God in the same way the world rejects the Christian. Christians as deluded and cannot understand how they can live and die for this man. He's speaking right into their persecution. He's saying, you who are being persecuted, when you come to this living stone, what did Jesus say about himself? I am the living stone that the builders, what? Rejected. You can identify with this living stone right in this moment who himself was rejected and cast away and put to death for all that he was and all that he proclaimed. So in a way he is encouraging them coming to get the milk, the pure milk from the living stone who can identify with them. But then he says this, we are living stones being built into a spiritual house to offer the sacrifice of ourselves acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, our great high priest. I'm going to read you a couple of words from the fathers. The first is St. Augustine. He says, "...the Lord will repay his faithful followers who are so lovingly, so cheerfully, so devotedly carrying out these works to the effect that he includes them in the construction of his own temple." into which they hasten to fit as living stones. Now listen, fashioned by faith, made solidly firm by hope, and cemented together by love. We become living stones put together as the temple, fashioned by our faith. What's that? Our, uh, the faith that we all are one in. The faith that we all are one in. Made solidly firm by hope, that is the hope of Christ and his resurrection, cemented together by love, Saint Theodore of Seer says this: This is how Peter describes the way in which those who have been accepted by God are in integrated into the church. It is by sharing a common origin and by being in harmony with one another, by thinking and saying the same things, by having the same mind and the same thoughts that we are built into one house for the Lord. Think about that. Being in harmony with one another, thinking the same things, having the same mind, sharing the same thoughts, built into one house. When I looked at that statement from St. Theodore, the first thing that came to my mind is why the liturgy is so central to our faith. What happens when we gather together... In this physical place, yet in the spiritual reality, we are being made one together and going before Christ who has made all of us one with Him. You understand what we do? We all say the same things. If our focus is right, we are thinking the same thoughts in harmony. We are proclaiming together throughout the entirety of liturgy the great works of God from birth to His ascension and His resurrection and ascension. We are one in voice, one in faith expression, and we are one in the worship of God. And that happens every time we gather together. And the reason that it's to be like this is, what is God like? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Are they of the same mind? Yes. yes. Are they of the same will? And are they so knit together in the bonds of perfect love that the three are considered one? Such an incredible love that it creates a mystery that we'll never fully understand. And what St. Theodore is saying, what St. Peter is saying, and so have we become. This is our calling to live in such unity. Okay. And the picture is actually stages of a building being built at that time. If you look at what St. Peter says, what's the first stone that he mentions? Cornerstone? Cornerstone. All right, folks. Though they use it a little bit less like they did back in these times, what's the purpose of a cornerstone? Builders, real estate folks, what is the purpose of a cornerstone? Stability. The pattern. Stability? Stability. Begins the pattern? Right. Jane, what'd you say? Did you say something? I'm sorry. Okay, no, no. It's fine. It begins the foundation. It's the beginning of the foundation. Okay, all of these answers are right. I'll sum this up for you. The purpose of the cornerstone was the first stone set in the masonry construction of a building, and it was vitally important for the construction of the whole building, top to bottom. Everything was dependent on the cornerstone, because all other stones that were going to be set, the foundation and everything that we built upon it, had to fall in line with what? The cornerstone. Who is our cornerstone? Jesus Christ. He lived. He became incarnate. He showed us the ways of the Father, the ways that lead to every benefit of the kingdom of God. Therefore, it is right that our Lord Jesus Christ be seen as the cornerstone to which everything else must match up for the temple to be constructed that would glorify God and bring salvation to man. Okay. So we have Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. But after the cornerstone, what's the very, after the cornerstone is next, what's the very next part of the construction process? Before anything can be built up, what has to be done? The foundation foundation has to be set. So then the foundation is set around the cornerstone to perfection to line up with the cornerstone because if you have if you do not have a perfect cornerstone and you don't build the foundation perfectly with the cornerstone your building could look like this in reality and not because of something natural has happened okay so it's vitally important And who is the foundation? For this we go to St. Paul from his epistle to the church at Ephesus. And he writes, Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. I really want you to get this incredible picture, because it's one of my favorites in Scripture. It's so important that we rest on this truth. For who we are as the church of our Lord Jesus Christ following in the ways of the apostles matching the cornerstone of our Lord Jesus Christ Jesus Christ came in fleshed and lived men lived with him for three years with the exception of Saint Paul twelve of them would be made apostles we know what happened to Judas we know Saint Paul would be added later you had the cornerstone first what happened next The apostles. The foundation was then laid. Laid to perfection matching with the cornerstone. Then what happens next? Pentecost. What happens at Pentecost? God fills 3,000 with the Holy Spirit through their baptism transformed lives and off they go and the Great Commission begins, the church spreads throughout the world. What's happening? The church is being built, but it's being built on the foundation of the apostles who had matched themselves to the cornerstone. My friends, when I was looking for bedrock, when I was looking for bedrock coming from Protestantism, that description is exactly why I looked at orthodoxy and was able to see That that which was proclaimed in and through Jesus Christ, followed by the apostles and generationally has been followed, despite such humanity in the church. It's humanity everywhere. But no one could explain to me how the faith had been kept so perfectly, despite the humanity of people. You've got the picture being given to you by St. Peter. Because Jesus Christ set the cornerstone Himself. The apostles were set to perfection. Even Revelation tells us that the church is founded on the, that the foundation of the church is the apostles. And up comes the church being built on it. This is the reason no heresies have pervaded the church. This is the reason that no cultural immorality, they can bang at the doors of the Orthodox Church all they want, but it will not give. I take great peace in that. Not arrogance. This is not founded on arrogance. It's founded on the love of God. Who came to be among men to save man. And the creator is the only one that knows how to save the created. And so he gave us this gift of his church. That he takes part in. As the cornerstone. That he might offer life to the world. Through all of us as we gather together. Saint Peter continues with this picture, encouraging us as to who we are, as we're built on the cornerstone and its foundation. Who has First Peter chapter two verses nine
1: through ten? You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy.
0: You are a chosen generation. You are a chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation. Okay? Hear the words of Father Lawrence Fairley again on this topic. For Christians are not destined for doom. Unlike the unbelievers, they are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own acquisition. He called them in baptism and made them His own so that they might declare out in their worship and in their daily life the virtues and the glory of Him who has called them from the darkness of paganism and death into His marvelous and miraculous light. In describing these Gentiles as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own acquisition who will declare out His virtues, Peter applies the titles given to Israel in the Greek version, of Isaiah and chapter 43, Exodus 19. For the church is the fulfilled Israel. They are now God's chosen of race of people, different from all the peoples of the world, separated. They are His royal priesthood set apart as a community with access to His presence. They are a holy nation protected by God who watches over His holy ones. They are a people of His own acquisition, His very own treasure, valued and guarded by Him. Never forget, my friends, that we are a royal priesthood. In fact, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6, in the revelation given to uh, to St. John, we have the words, "...to Him who loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood, and has made us kings and priests." To His God and Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. We are both kings and priests. How are we kings? By the very kingship of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He shares His dominion. He shares His authority with all that He has put down. Satan has no more authority over the Christian by the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are kings. He shares his kingship. Secondly, we are priests in the line of our Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest. And we have a role to do. This is why St. Peter mentions this. He describes the cornerstone foundation, the church coming together, and what do priests do in Old Covenant? What was the role of a priest? To offer what? Sacrifices, right, of the people. Our Lord Jesus Christ fulfills that as we've talked about in Hebrews. And now He's made us priests in His line. Not in the line of the Old Covenant, priest. In His line. And what do we offer? What do we offer God in our worship? What do we say? Ourselves. 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 Sacrifice to God is a pure and contrite heart. A pure and contrite heart, O Lord, thou wilt not despise. We come and we gather with our great high priest, and in the nave we offer ourselves. And from the sanctuary our great high priest offers himself. And there we have, as St. Peter described, the pure milk of the word. The Word, Jesus Christ. Not words on a page. That comes from Christ by the Holy Spirit. The Word of God is Christ. And He offers Himself for our life and for our salvation. This is who we are. And St. Peter is encouraging those in the depths of their suffering to remember themselves. Remember who you are, who you are built upon. And what you've been given. And now remember your role to offer yourselves to God. And by the way, don't you think that many martyrs, this is the greatest offering of themselves, many martyrs are graced to offer themselves, their souls, their bodies, a living sacrifice to the king of kings. That's why they're glorified. And that's why Revelation says the prayers of the martyrs come from right underneath the altar, right underneath the throne to God. Let's stand.